Welcome once again to Cinema Holics, the major motion podcast, uh, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from San Francisco. I'm John Negroni, film editor for In Between Drafts, and from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a news and entertainment writer at Collider. It's Will Ashton. What up? Whoa, are, are you okay, Will? You seem a little melancholy. You seem a little bit like something went down this past week that's got you down. Well, it's got me down, John. Um, I don't know. Like you have this look on your face. It's like it is finished. Like you've just completed oh. something years in the making. I see. I see. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The answer, uh, the lead up that you were setting up here. Uh, I just released, or rather, we just released the final episode of the Ogre Goats Ogre, my sister podcast, Cinemaholics, I guess. I think it was just like uh, a cousin podcast, cousin, you know, yeah, like, distant cousin, I guess, or because like we play together, you know, at each other's house every once in a while, and yeah, yeah, but you don't keep in close contact. Um, <laughs> we fight, you only we listen, fight over our toys, and yeah, uh, you don't even listen to full episodes. You just kind of, you know, kind of graze in and out of the podcast. That's what Check real family does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, we started it around the same time. Actually, I think. In Ogre Toads Ogre started just a month before we started Cinemaholics. So it's weird to think about, uh, you know, we kind of started these two podcasts at the same time. I kind of connect them in my brain for that reason. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we did it for six seasons. Uh, I kind of knew we were getting near the end, but I kind of wanted to make sure it wasn't, uh, I know on good terms. Like, I didn't want this podcast to uh, feel incomplete. But I also wanted to end it while still enjoying doing the show, uh, having fun, having good chemistry with my friends and co-hosts, Matt Serafini and Chris Sheridan. So, yeah, we we finished up uh, season six, which is all about Trek 2. And then we just released a two and a half hour episode uh, called Simply It's Ogre. And it's us discussing all six films, saying our final piece on each one. And then ending it with a special little bonus, which I don't know if you have uh, listened. Yeah, I know you started to listen to the episode, John, but I don't know if you've listened to the whole thing yet. I imagine you have like uh, 20 minutes left or something like that. Okay. So what do you think so far? It's, you know, it's it's different from what I expect. I don't know what I expected. Okay. Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it's melancholic. It's, but it, it feels like a celebration. Sure. You know, I got a little bit more like I think I'm at the part where you're talking about uh, Garfield okay. and you've kind of you kind of did your your obligatory Masters of Disguise you know, kind of conversation there a little yeah. bit. And, you know, it's fun. It's just, you know, it it's just a little sad. I'm a little bummed out. Yeah, I understand. I mean, on your behalf, uh, the archive is still there. I mean, you know, uh, if people want to go back and listen to them. You can hear me age. Because uh, yeah. we we never missed an episode. That's the kind of wild thing about the show is that we produced um, one episode a month, you know, from what was that January 2017 to now January 2023. So if you want to hear me age in real time, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you get uh, yeah, month to month as opposed to Cinemaholics where we put out something around like 500, <laughs> you know, yeah. clips, uh, you know, over 300 weekly episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely... You can really hear yourself age here on yeah. the show in some ways. Ah, uh, man, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's on the podcast feeds. If you uh, listened to the show, enjoyed it, thank you so much for supporting it all these years. 
I really had a lot of fun doing it. It's been, you know, a little side project, something I had a lot of fun doing, uh, and I'm really proud of the show. And I'm, you know, I'm sad that's over, but I'm also kind of happy to end it on a on a good term. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'll be sadder later on. Like I, I feel like yeah, in a you'll month be or missing two, it. It's gonna be weird in February when I'm like, oh, I gotta produce. Like a, yeah, to be looking at like a DVD of Spy Kids and just be yeah. like, huh. I wonder if I wa- what would happen if I watched that twelve times. No, Will, snap out of it. You, mm-hmm. it's no, over. I mean, yeah, I mean, there have been some you know films that I'll like think about. I'm like, yeah, that would be really fun to do for an ogre season. Oh, 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 yeah, that's right. So I feel like it'll it'll hit me more in the months uh, to follow, I guess. But that that time hasn't come yet. So yeah. for now, I'm just kind of uh, you know I'm a little relieved that that whole thing is done because. These last two episodes are fairly intensive as far as the preparation process. Uh, they're long. They're big. They're long. Yeah, because the previous one, the the season six finale was our musical episode. So that also was a very uh, strenuous kind of episode to put together. And so I'm, I'm kind of just relieved that I can take a break and, hmm. you know, just let it be. And just focus on your two other podcasts, right? Yeah, seriously. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just looked it up and the... Yeah, Eight Ain't Ogre and Cinemaholics are two weeks apart, almost exactly, because the first episode of Ogre came out January 28th, 2017, and the first episode of Cinemaholics, which was uh, the Lego Batman movie, and John Wick Chapter 2, we're about to get Chapter 4, that was February 12th, 2017, so that's how that all shook out. Uh, We really just kind of, because I remember when I told, when I came to you about doing uh, a movie review podcast it was before we landed on Cinemaholics. You were kind of like, "Well, hey, I got this other secret project going on." It was like a you know a podcast type drug deal. You know, you were trying to like get me yeah. <laughs> to to be aware of. You know, I didn't want to spill the beans too early because that would be fun to kind of uh, reveal it uh, gradually. And who knows? Maybe I'll do that in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Oh, well, I, you'll I, never guess what. Yeah. <laughs> or no, you'll be like, John, you'll never guess what podcast I got up my sleeve this time. I just like yeah. make podcasts and then I don't even tell you about them. Right. I'm just like, oh, yeah. You know, now you're I doing mean, a one piece podcast. OK. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I do kind of feel a little wistful thinking about like how novel that was for me. Like, oh, I'm doing a podcast. I'm getting in the podcast game. And then there was that. Well, one you had done a podcast the... before that. True. I'm not going to talk about that. Post prop. No, yeah, you don't need to bring that one up. Uh, but in any case, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've got a, a fun program for you all this week. We are going to be uh, going through some feedback and a couple couple of episodes and of the show. Uh, or I guess we're going to do some feedback on last week's episode. We're going to talk about a movie that uh, a listener requested that we missed over award season, and uh, we'll do a little bit of like what we were up to on Sundance uh, or during Sundance twenty twenty three. And finish things out with a review of Infinity Pool. This is going to be more of the, like a, an original episode of Cinemaholics, like back in the day, like back when we used to do like a lot of different stuff, not just like one review and we're done. Yeah, like is maybe one a, off topic in the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say, is this our season finale, by the way? Hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. So after this, we're going to be jumping into season seven of Cinemaholics, our seventh year of doing the show. Who knows? You know, like if we'll go to heaven after seven. Um, sure. But I, Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, because when you mentioned those dates, I was like, oh, yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. But yeah, so we have some feedback here. A uh, couple things. So the first thing 
is that we had some feedback on our Women Talking episode. If some of you recall, I'm sure everybody listened to our Women Talking review, right? Uh, I actually don't know. I haven't seen how well that episode did. I think it did all right. But yeah, uh, we talked about Women I Talking so. in the Oscar nominations, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, what were the, the two lines I gave you? Because I, I gave you one if it was a success and one if it flopped. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, women be talking, men be flopping? Was it? Yeah, that was if it flopped. Uh, but I also said... Uh, uh oh yeah it was uh women talking more like people downloading if it was yeah, a success go, yeah yeah i think i think it's just doing like average like so what's what's your medium what's your middle you have to maybe think about that one uh yeah i didn't think about that one i i didn't prepare <laughs> which was the more it was the likeliest scenario <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know well all right so uh no we we got some feedback from a listener uh, i think it was mostly directed toward me what happened will uh you received the feedback right Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my friend, Jess, hey, Jess, if you're listening, uh, she came to see uh, Women Talking with me. And uh, we talked about the film for a little bit afterwards. And also, uh, she listened to our episode. She was very nice to listen to our episode. And she had some thoughts, which I sent over to you. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I would like to think that they're, uh, you know, complaints and criticisms directed both of us, you know, because we both reviewed the film. But... You take them, I guess, a little bit more personally than I do. Wait, what? What? I didn't. What? 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 How am I taking it personally? What? I don't know. Even like, even worried. I guess I don't know. What, worried? What's up? What do you mean? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like you're uh, less uh, enthused to hear criticisms. Oh, I mean, nobody likes to hear criticisms, but I like that people are listening and engaging. That's always fun. Sure. Um, that's that's uh, you know not an issue with me. That's for sure. Uh, I was, if anything, I was a little confused because apparently I have to re-listen to it, and I feel like I maybe like communicated uh, a, an issue I had with the film poorly because it seems like she got the impression that I was complaining about the movie being whitewashed, which I think I'm trying to remember, and I think I mentioned because like the movie was sort of loosely based on something that happened in Bolivia, and so I thought. It was kind of weird, like the way that they handled it as like an American adaptation. And I think I was trying to say that, like, I, I just didn't feel like the the movie had a good sense of place. And I, I didn't really understand the like how authentic it was trying to be. And maybe it came off like I was saying, it was like, these are all white people. What the heck? And that's definitely not how I felt. Um, because, you know, I think that it, 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 I feel like the context of the movie, all of them being white, makes perfect sense, considering it's like the Mennonite thing. And also, like, as the listener pointed out. That uh, uh, apparently Mennonites would be German imported, which I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'll take a word for it. But because um, I remember there, I grew up in Virginia and I remember there were like Mennonite communities, not Mennonite colonies. But, I, you know, I've, I've met people from those communities and like I, I'm pretty aware of like how they look, how they dress, how they talk and everything. And, and not to impugn the movie for how they portray it, because I think the movie has its own little world that it's trying to get across. I had no issues with that at all. I guess it was just like, there was something about the movie's uh, commitment to itself geographically that I just wanted a little bit more to grasp onto, but it wasn't like a major hurdle for me with the film. Like if the rest of the film worked for me better in terms of like the story and, and kind of how it works and everything, it's, I wouldn't have cared that much, honestly. It was just something I was bringing up that I noticed. So hopefully Hopefully that uh, belies any sort of like, hopefully I, you know, I didn't come off as like a total reactionary weirdo, but I probably did. I don't know. I mean, just one to make sure we uh, preface that um, with Miriam Toast or uh, what's how you pronounce her last the name? The author of the novel, right? Yeah. 
Yes. Miriam Toes, yeah. Toes? No, it's not Toes. It's uh, um, the director. Do I have it mixed up? No, 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 no. Uh, the author. I just I'm making sure I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yeah, Toes. Toes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But she grew up uh, in a Mennonite community, and the Manitoba community would have been, uh, you know, primarily like you said, German imported. So I don't know. I guess it's probably one of those things, right? Where it's like, you know, the Mennonites I've come across have been totally different, and just something I'm not aware of, you know. And uh, it it is certain. It's one of those things where this is this is where I run into the trap of like when I don't watch trailers and I don't look into movies as much before I see them. Sometimes I don't have all that context and I just see things out of context. And depending on the movie, like if I really like the movie, then I'm going to look into it. I'm going to want to like listen to interviews and really find out these, these details, which I always should because we do this show, you know what I mean? But sometimes I don't when I think in this case, I didn't think we were going to be covering women talking uh, at a certain point. So I kind of, you know, we went into our review without me doing a little bit. At, you know, sometimes I, I usually do like a little bit of research so I know what I'm, you know, getting into and and the listeners have something to listen to. But that didn't happen this time and clearly yeah. it should. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we mess up. I think it's fine. I just think when it was worth matching, you know, when we uh, misspoke or, you know, didn't really give the film a completely fair and accurate shake. Uh, also, I mean, we were kind of criticizing the film. If you want to, you know, go to, you know, something we both did, uh, we were criticizing the kind of formal speech of the film, or at least the kind of scholarly talk of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's worth noting that you know they primarily spoke in uh, an old form of, of the language in the dialect called Plattdeutsch. So I mean, I don't know how that would translate exactly to English, but there's reason to believe that you know it, it would have been more accurate than not, especially given. The author's connection to the Mennonite community. So I just, you know, I'll continue my caveat from before because I said it. I said it last week too that it, like you know we were willing to talk about the movie and give our fair shakes, but like it's just one of those movies where people should look into other reviews um, from sure. people who know more about the material, uh, female critics in particular. I think that uh, you know I was happy we got to have our conversation because we did both see the movie, and I'm sure some people are interested in what we have to say, but. Obviously, we are not the end-all be-all uh, by any stretch. That is most certainly true. All right, that's enough men talking about women talking. How about some men talking about bones and all? Because we got some feedback from a listener. Uh, hello, Chantel, who emailed us in. And if you'd like to email us, uh, you can do it at any time. Our email's in the show notes. at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And Chantel was curious why we didn't cover bones and all. And uh, I think they, they also weren't sure if we even like mentioned it on the show. I know we mentioned it. I know there were there were times throughout November and December where you and I were like, oh, yeah, bones and all, you know, that's unlimited. Oh, now it's like hitting some more theaters. Oh, it's getting, you know, and we, we, were, we always had it on like this, yeah. like the, in the ether of like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're going to do a bones and all episode. We actually considered doing a, a bonus show of it with a. Uh, a friend of the show who could have come on and uh, who I think was more negative on the movie, which would have been interesting, but we, it just never kind of worked out because it's the blitz of award season. It was the same thing with like women talking. It's like, mm-hmm. there's so many movies that come out that around this time. And uh, I think, I don't think we, we were used to or ready for it because this past award season was so loaded compared to 2020 and 2021. It was more uh, like the years maybe, before yeah. that. And I think we did, I think we were more prepared in the years prior. Like we kind of knew that it was going to be a lot. And so we used to do like five reviews per episode <laughs> to kind of deal with that. And in this case, we we missed it. So thinking of talking about it now. 
Just yeah, I mean, yeah, because I know that was um, like Thanksgiving week, right? That's when it came out in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. because it was uh, it was coming around around like Glass Onion and Glass Onion obviously like kind of overshadowed it along with like Fablemans. And I think that's probably one of the contexts we talked about it in was like the box office mm-hmm. of, of award season movies. And it was like, well, yeah, it's a cannibal movie coming out on Thanksgiving. What did you get? Come on. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't I shouldn't diminish it to a cannibal movie, but that's that's the poster, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in any case, I mean, I know you saw it uh, a screener, I think, like around yes. that time. Uh, I saw it in like mid-December. Uh, I was going to see it earlier, but I got the novel coronavirus, so I had to wait. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I like the film. I, I don't actually remember how you felt about it, to be honest. I liked it okay. I, I, I watched it, and I, I, I loved the Americana of it. Like, I, I loved the way that it was using... It's sort of, and for people who don't know, it's it's sort of a love story within the context of uh, people who find out that they have this insatiable urge to consume human flesh, and sure. it's not treated as like it's not warm bodies, you know, where you're trying to no. like, you know, satirize it or or try to have fun with that high concept. Instead, it's like a very grounded take of like, what if these people were really out there, and it's such a heightened sense of identity that these people can literally like sniff each other out in the real world and like oh you're a cannibal like i am and it's sort of about how those people form sort of found friendships and communities but also how they come into conflict with one another and it it's it's from luca guadagnino of course one of the current cinematic masters i i think right now and you say that, I th- but um i feel like you've been more critical of his work than me but i know that you liked uh most of his films that he that he has done, I think, with the exception of the Suspiria remake. I think, it's yeah, a, that's, that's true. Direct, and, yeah. But, but I've always respected his movies a lot. Like I was, I, I point him out as somebody who I do think he is a master of the craft. It's just that, you know, I can't f- fully engage with all of his movies with the exception of call me by your name, which I think is his like that right now. That's his like magnum opus. I, I just think that movie is, near perfection for what it is and and i think that this movie is like kind of following in its footsteps a bit of being like this unabashedly romantic movie set within you know i was about to say that uh the way that it's it's using this sort of seemingly like disgusting thing right and not seemingly disgusting it is disgusting but he's using it to sort of like show like people put on the outskirts of society you can put in all kinds of like hot button social issues into this Uh, many people of course will put in like lgbtq plus um, queer identity into like what these characters go through but there's plenty of other things you know and anybody who feels like they're you know on the outskirts or they feel like they're on the edge and how that can sort of be fused through a narrative via Americana. That's where I think this movie finds its stride. My issue with the movie ultimately is just that it, it it's not that surprising of a movie as it goes. Like I, I enjoy it scene to scene, but I just didn't find all the scenes as like com- equally compelling. Like it's not a movie that I think flows super well, even though I really liked everything that I was seeing and I liked all the performances. I mean, particularly uh, you know, the, the two leads, I mean, Taylor Russell and Tim, Timothy Chalamet, who, you know, Chalamet, who I haven't been as up on lately. Like, I think with like things like Dune, I, I don't know. I just feel like the guy, I, I like the guy. I think that he's a promising young actor, but I haven't been like really wowed by him in a while. But Taylor Russell, who I think is just like, she's a rising star in so many ways. And I think she's becoming one of our like indie darlings in terms of just 
everything she's in. I think she's like, she's elevating everything she's in. I mean, she turned the escape room movies from like January trash into like something that really brought people out, you know, cause I think she's such an engaging performer and, uh, this is a great performance, uh, to kind of add to her repertoire since movies like waves, for example, which I think she kind of makes that movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a good movie. Uh, it's just, it's one that it just didn't hit me super hard. So it's, you know, it, it's not far away. Like we, it didn't come up in our best of the year. It's not one of my honorable mentions, but I definitely point at it as like, it's a hard movie to recommend, but it, it's kind of like the characters themselves. It's like, I, I can sort of sniff out the kind of people I know who would actually really like it. Yeah. I mean, um, I feel like the log line for it would be like Badlands by way of raw, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah sure. it, it was. Yeah, I maybe not raw as much as I don't know. Uh, you get the gist. It, it definitely is honing to that sort of Malik esque, you know, naturalism. Something that I feel that uh, Guanino has, uh, you know, like you said, he, he's kind of pushing back against the sort of heightened uh, surrealism that was in Suspiria, kind of going back to something a little bit more, you know, grounded and rustic and you know, melancholic. Uh, like call me by your name. Uh, I'll bet you know not less swooning and you know a uh, little bit. It's it, it, if it's still romantic, it's not as like you know, uh, you know, f- uh, it's a little bit more grounded, I guess, in the sense that like there is a bittersweet quality to it, like the sense of doomed love. Uh, in the in the same way that I guess I don't know. I, I I'm kind of speaking in circles here, only because I guess call me by your name is also a doomed sort of love in a different sort of way. But in any case. Um, bones and all, I agree with you about Timothy Chalamet. In fact, I feel like he's been on a good run of late. I know he hasn't been, um, always hitting them out of the park. You know, uh, rainy day in New York, for instance, wasn't a great film <laughs> and he wasn't very good in it, but I mean, I thought he was like one of the best parts of, uh, don't look up a film. I'm not especially fond of. I honestly uh, forgot he was in that. <laughs> that oh, was, really? his, uh, oh yeah. And I guess that was his last movie, huh? I um, remember him being in the movie mainly because that was the point where I like kind of like you know, sat up a little bit because it got fun again. I was like, oh, like he's actually like a pretty good comedic actor. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And it, it was a, you know, solid performance, a film I didn't particularly love. Uh, See, I, I, would like say the, that, I would say that for French Dispatch. That was the last movie he was yeah, in. Yeah, he was good like, in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I felt like that was probably the weakest segment in the film, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's been on a good role of late, really proving himself. And I thought this performance was uh, exceptionally good. Uh, from him. I really enjoy Like there's a, a scene, like kind of a emotional climax of the film with them having like a kind of picnic, uh, you know, in, in the out, uh, on the road and, and like, kind of like, I think it's like a beachside kind of thing. And it, it's a really emotionally raw, tender moment. And, and his performance and Taylor Russell's performance in that scene is really great. And I, I was thinking about that scene a lot when I was putting together my honorable mentions. And like, I, I think there are several moments in this film that really live up to some of the best Luca Guadagnino scenes. I guess for me, what I kind of took issue with was that uh, I haven't read the source material. Um, I feel like I keep saying that week by week. I <laughs> so I got to read either. more. Yeah. Um, but I will and say that say I, it's, it's based in the eighties. So it's kind of, you know, it does have a little bit of like a period to it. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is that I know it's a young adult novel. And I feel like it kind of falls into some of those kind of contrivances and, and expectations, as you're kind of alluding to, uh, in a way that I felt was kind of butting against the naturalism that uh, Luca Guanino was bringing to the style. So I felt like those 
story beats were a little bit more apparent to me because they didn't right. feel as natural to the style and the story. And I guess for me, that made the story not flow as well as his previous films. Uh, and then I don't know uh, where you exactly landed on the Mark Rylance performance. Uh, I was curious to talk to you about that. I uh, I liked it at first. And then there's something that happens with the performance later on where it just becomes a little bit cartoonish. And I'm glad you mentioned the YA thing. It does sort of start to feel a bit like he's a stock YA character, but it's in conflict with really the movie's like deeper commentary. So it it just, I don't know, it ultimately lands as something that's kind of lopsided in a weird way. So yeah, I mean, I guess the, it's not his fault. I think he's fine he's, in it and everything, but if it was isolated, that performance, I mean, if it was isolated to that one scene in the house early in the film, I think I would have been like, Oh, that's a really cool, interesting Mm -hmm. character. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, they kind of bring him back in a forced way. And then, you know, he, he, he gets increasingly, as you said, goofier throughout the film to the point where, yeah, like I said, it continues to kind of butt against the, the naturalistic tone that was striving for throughout. Though I will say, since I've seen the film, I've been kind of quietly muttering to myself, nothing's ever dolly with Sully. Uh, <laughs> that's why you've been saying <laughs> yeah nothing's ever dull it was sully the only other thing i would say is uh the score is one of the best things about it this is uh trent Reznor, atticus ross yeah and, yeah that's a good uh, the movie the movie got totally snubbed uh, no mention at all for academy awards but i would I, I would absolutely put the score uh with it put in like consideration but yeah i mean it's a movie that kind of came and sort of went it's not something that i think a lot of it's a movie that a lot of people kind of forgot about because it didn't have a big splash. You know, I got I got buzzed when it was doing its festival thing. It was at Venice, and I, I think that people sort of expected a little bit more from the movie because of Guadagnino and because of Chalamet and Russell. But yeah, it just didn't quite get there. But yeah, still a good good movie if you can see it. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, I mean, uh, I guess my honorable mentions kind of cap at you know somewhere around like my like top 30 or 35 films the year, but I'd say it's probably in like my top 40. Like I did enjoy it a good bit and it was very close to getting into my honorable mentions. It just didn't quite make the cut, but I did enjoy the film. I, I liked it. I, I guess we should have given it more due. Yeah. It's one of those things. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, I'm double checking where I had it in my ranking. Yeah. I mean, I had it a bit further down. I mean, I had it at uh, 69. Uh, that's pretty nice, but Nice. Yeah, it's like around movies like the like Sea Beast and Emily the Criminal and Scream, like movies I genuinely enjoyed and I thought were, you know, worth watching. So it's it you know it's not that bad or anything, but it's a good year for movies by my estimation. Sure. So, so Sea Beast is good. Yeah, I like Sea Beast. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a good little animated movie. It's it's there's my mini review. <laughs> I was gonna say we never talked about that one. Um, I'm trying yeah. to catch up on these Oscar movies. That's uh one i still need to see i might do that one this week yeah it's uh it's, it's what you got it's on netflix and it's easy to find bones and all i think was on premium video on demand for a while probably on demand by now i don't know if it's gonna be on any streaming services because it's united artists so that folds under the uh amazon umbrella right so uh oh yeah that's right because mgm so yeah it might be on amazon yeah. now, that, now that you mention it so if not now in the future yeah all right Nothing's ever dull. It was Sully. <laughs> Speaking of awards and prestige and the glitz and the glam, Sundance 2023 has come and gone. It just ended on Sunday. And, you know, we've been covering Sundance on this show every year since 2018. 
And although the first time was uh, we brought somebody in who went to Sundance and we didn't, you know, cover it that year, but I've been covering since 2019. Uh, this was my fifth year and obviously Sundance. I mean, it's, it's my favorite film festival just in general. I, I just love the vibe of it. I love the discovery of all the movies, but the last two years I've been doing the online version. Uh, I mean, the last three years I've been doing the online version, but the last two years, it's a little bit more limited. Like we're not able to see everything. And uh, I think I was like capped at a certain point. Like I couldn't just watch whatever I wanted uh, unless uh, I had to like be strategic of like, well, this is probably going to get an award. Right. So then I should probably shouldn't get this because uh, I think our press passes were limited to around like 20 movies or something like that. Uh, that said, I was able to see uh, most stuff that I wanted to. There's still a few things hanging out there that I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to eventually. Uh, unfortunately, they they were really, really, uh, I think, finicky with who they accredited for press this year. So for reasons I don't understand, Will, even though you've been covering the festival for several years now, uh, you you were not uh, given a press pass this year, Yeah, uh, along with a lot of other like notable critics like you know you're not alone it wasn't just like a an anti-ashton campaign uh, uh, there are a few people where i'm just like how come you you, you cover the festival like uh, but yep. they were yeah they, they were a, bit, a little bit more exclusive which is a weird i don't even like that word um well i will say it's partly my fault uh and partly your fault maybe uh hmm. okay <laughs> my fault wait oh because no, you did it a little I'm, late yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to joke because um, initially, you know, at one point we were talking about going there in person. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll check back with that later and see if that's worth doing. Uh, and I remember, I think in like October, November, I was kind of like, hey, do you still want to do that? I was like, oh, I don't think I can do that. It's too busy. I've been traveling too much. Like, okay, no problem. Totally fine. Yeah, I, I guess get I days did. off. Like, that, yeah. that's what it was. So I kind of took that as not only were you not planning to cover the festival in person you were also not planning to do it online which doesn't so make sense to me it's like why wouldn't i cover it online well i don't know i mean if you didn't take off i figured you're just not gonna have the time to yeah, just you know. watch it in the mornings the evenings like i because that's how i would do it i have a commute so like i would watch one movie on my way to work because my commute's long <laughs> and then so i'd usually be able to watch almost the entire thing and then i watch a little bit if i have anything left over my lunch break and then on my way home and then i watch one more movie in the evening it's kind of like being at the festival in person like you can fit in like three maybe four movies a day and that's being you know and you're, you're getting a good chunk of uh the coverage in any case uh classic miscommunication uh, Which I, I don't know. It's like, why wouldn't you cover it then? I don't know. I just assumed you would because, you know. In any case, I, yeah, I applied late. Uh, yeah, it was like the last day I was trying to get in. As you mentioned, they were pretty exclusive on who got to cover the festival. Uh, and so I did not. Make I know some people who, cut. like, they, they applied, like, well in advance and uh, I, they're well-known critics they they do good work and they, they were shut out too it, it seems like it was a little bit of like a luck of the draw kind of thing to me but regardless uh i i, I do think that like next year i really want to make a point to cover uh the only thing is that i know already that i'm going to be out of the country early mm. january <laughs> So I probably can't. I, I just remembered that. So wow. <laughs> literally, as I say it, um, yeah, I won't be. I, yeah, I won't be able to do it in person next year either, huh? Mm. Uh, I'm gonna be yeah. in uh, Thailand uh, around that wow. time. So yeah, news to me. Well, have fun with that. Um, in any case, I was gonna say this is kind of, I guess, uh, revenge or karma, or whatever you want to call it, for me uh, being accepted into virtual TIFF in 20. 
20 uh when you and abby were not so uh i guess that's kind of how the fates had turned you know because <laughs> i got the opportunity fate decided i can't do sundance this year so uh yeah it didn't work out for me unfortunately but uh it sounded like it was a good uh good festival it was a good festival it was definitely an improvement from last year i remember last year like there weren't as many standouts like there were movies i enjoy like dual cha-cha real smooth couple of documentaries that i thought were good like aftershock and descendant and navelny was good but there, there weren't a lot of movies that i just like was like wow you know like this i wish i had seen this in the theater at sundance you know like really great experiences um, both on the dramatic front and also on the documentary front uh there are two movies that stick out to me in particular there are a few actually but um the the two big ones are beyond utopia and magazine dreams and so beyond utopia is the uh it's like a madeline gavin's documentary about people who defect from north korea to south korea and what they have to go through and the movie makes it clear from the very beginning that they're not using recreations they're using exclusively archival footage uh, footage that these people are risking their lives in order to get so you're seeing like actual hidden footage in north korea the interviews and everything it's all authentic them people who are running for their lives through china because if they get caught by the chinese government they get sent back straight to north korea it is a jaw-dropping genuinely like my mouth was agape throughout so much of it uh kind of documentary it's it's one of those things where i think it, only a documentary could do this like you could not communicate the intensity and the desperation of what is going on with people trying to escape and the humanity of the people who help them and the inhumanity of the people who only help them for money which is this whole wrinkle of beyond utopia that i wasn't even expecting i thought there were more people who did this out of empathy, but no, like there, there's a cottage industry of people in, in China and Vietnam and, and these places who, if they have a reason to sell you out because you're too much of a, of a problem, then they will because they'll make money. And there's this very delicate structure of power and influence between these people and the people in South Korea who are like, well, you know, if you decide to I uh, send these people over to North Korea. We're not going to have a deal anymore. And it's, it's very, very tentative. And it, there's always this air of like at any moment, everything could go wrong. And because it's all our, because it's all archival footage, that sense of realism comes through so painstakingly. I, I found this to be like truly, truly a, a standout documentary. One of those documentaries that I think everybody should see. One of those docs that I think everybody has a reason to sort of pay attention to, to a lot of the underlying themes, you know, like how brainwashing works. The, the interviews that they do on the people who do get out of the country and uh, even the people who are like en route and being, and they still are like, honestly, like the, the brainwashing, the, the programming that they have of like their impression of North Korea and the leaders there and what the rest of the world is like, like that's not an easy thing to disentangle. So it's a very instructive documentary in that sense too. But uh, yeah, be warned because it's just, it's a very stressful <laughs> documentary. It's, it's hard to watch in a lot of places, but I couldn't look away. Like I couldn't, you know, turn it off. I was like, I, I have to see this all the way through. And uh, I'm very glad I did. It, it's uh it's heartbreaking. It's also uplifting. It's it's everything that I think a good documentary is. And yeah, I hope when you eventually see it, Will, that we can have a, a nice uh, long discussion about it, you know, because I could definitely see you having some thoughts on uh, the, 
especially the filmmaking styles employed here, because there are some really interesting choices in terms of like how much they show of one thing versus how long certain sequences are and, and how all that is uh, communicating in order to achieve that like maximum empathy between the viewer and the, the subject of the documentary. It's fascinating stuff, but yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to see this one. Um, yeah. It won I heard an award. Amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. It, like you said, won the award. Uh, for best documentary, uh, I almost had a chance to see this film. Uh, funny enough, uh, Corey mm. Woodruff, friend of the show, uh, accidentally bought uh, two copies of the film when they were, uh, I guess, on the award sale. Uh, and uh, I thought the link would last longer than it did. He said it would go through Monday, <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then, uh, yeah, because my Sunday was a little busy, so it's like, "Okay, uh, I'll just watch it Monday morning and uh, you know catch up on one of the the best films of the festival." And the link was like instantly like denied, so oh. I was like, "Oh, bummer." <laughs> oh, well, I just felt bad. No, I mean, just you know, again, classic mis- miscommunication on my part. I should have uh, read up on how long the link would last. So. Mm. Uh, in any case, I did not get a chance to see the film, fortunately, but I'm really excited to see it. It doesn't look like it's been acquired yet, as far as I can see. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't. I, this is one of those years where I really didn't pay because, again, I, I was working. You know, I wasn't I didn't have as much time to sort of uh, really look into all the movies, too. And I wasn't able to write a ton of reviews or anything. But, yeah, I didn't see a lot of the acquisition coverage. Um, so I'm behind on that. But uh, doc, if sticking on documentaries, I mean, the other two docs that I saw, uh, actually, there were three docs that I saw. Uh, the Disappearance of Cher Height um, from Nicole Newham. That was a really good documentary. Uh, that was uh, about Cher Height, who wrote The High Report, uh, which is this famous uh, female sexuality book that uh, she wrote in the 1970s, kind of going through her life and, and about like the the backlash that she received for you know, saying things in the seventies and the eighties and going into the nineties that today are kind of like, well, I shouldn't even say common knowledge. Uh, so to be more specific, she was, she was one of the pioneers in making mainstream the idea that like women don't, uh, and then a little bit of a content warning, you know, if you, you have little ears, uh, so for women to achieve like climaxing and orgasm and all of that, it used to be just like everybody, it was like a little hidden secret that like, yeah, you know, intercourse doesn't get most women there. Uh, like the traditional like missionary and all of that, uh, stimulation, um, oral stimulation, things like that are, uh, far more effective, but it was something. And, and also, uh, certain self-pleasure methods and all that. This was something though, that was kind of like hushed about. It was something that people weren't very open about, especially like in the 1960s, 50s, and before all that. Uh, but share height was revolutionary in terms of, you know, bringing in anonymous people, talking about their experiences, talking about, you know, how that that norm, that sort of traditional thing was just, you know, not their experience. And it was also about infidelity. It was about um, how women seek pleasure. And that that was something that turned Cher Hyde into really a sensation and a very uh, profitable uh, seller of books. And it's a good documentary because it really goes through it. And it, it goes through like the arguments and the, the bad faith and, uh, debates that people would have with her about this stuff of like thinking that she was saying like men were useless and stuff like that. And it's an interesting movie about like, uh, feminism, second wave feminism, third wave feminism, whatever feminism you want and how it sort of has like changed over the decades and how it's been diminished in a lot of ways and be repurposed in some ways, but it doesn't go all the way with it. That sort of subject line, it does focus mostly on share height, which I think is the right call. Uh, so this is a good one too. I, I also saw, um, 
still a Michael J. Fox movie, the the documentary from Davis Guggenheim. And uh, that was really great. I, you know, just kind of going through Michael J. Fox's life. And I, it's straightforward in terms of what it is. It's it's the story of like how he became a celebrity. And, and then, of course, his Parkinson's diagnosis. And uh, the, the period the period of his career in the 90s has always been the most elusive to me because he came out with a ton of movies and then Spin City and everything. But it was kind of when he had Parkinson's, but was kind of quiet about it. And I'm more familiar with like 80s Michael J. Fox and 2000s Michael J. Fox. And that was a period of his life, the 90s, that it was really fascinating to see more of and to kind of get a sense of who the guy is. And that that was a really, really great uh, covering of his life. And I think also, I, I do appreciate that he, he's he's definitely... Uh, I didn't read read his book, but he's definitely pretty forthcoming about how much of a bad person he was, you know, especially like with how he treated people, specifically his wife in the 80s and 90s. And I appreciated the movie for that, where you do get the sense that there's some like real self-reflection going on. It's not just like a puff piece, you know, and you do get the sense that he he's like going through his baggage. He's going through like his demons in this in a way that's very open and honest and that I appreciated. So that was a good one too. The the other documentary I saw was uh, the Little Richard, uh, I am everything um, from Lisa Cortez, and I mean yeah, it's it's no it, it it's one of those music documentaries that I just think it it does the job. You know, you get to you go through Little Richard's life, and you know it, it's a it's a documentary with like one main job to do, which is that this guy did not get appreciated for his contribution to rock and roll. Uh, there's a reason he's considered the architect of rock and roll, despite people thinking that Elvis is the king of rock and roll. It was something that was brought up in the Elvis movie that uh, you know the, the tutti frutti thing, where that was Little Richard's song. You know, I think he was played by uh, I forget the actor who played him in Elvis, but he kind of gets like that offhand mention, and Elvis sort of plays it off like you know the movie plays it off like Elvis was the one who really revolutionized the the format it's like no he was just like the the top 40 version of like the real Mm -hmm. underground movement you know and the documentary is really really cool in the first section because it goes through like all of little richard's influences what his life was like before he had like the breakout fame and how that crafted like it was more i think informative and enlightening about how rock and roll was really a collision of like all of these different artists all sort of just bringing their styles together and just having a blast. And then of course, you know, you see how little Richard gets victimized by the so many different things, specifically like his religious upbringing kind of co-ops him throughout different periods of his life. And I think that, uh, it was a very, very sharp documentary in those cases. It was stuff that I didn't know about little Richard, but I was happy to sign up, you know, suddenly learn about. Cause like, I just thought he was always, out of the closet and, 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 you know, all this stuff, but there were, there were certain things that happened with him in the, specifically the, the seventies that I was totally unaware of. And it was really cool to see a documentary bring light to that. So those are all the docs. I think you saw, um, uh, bop, what, bop, a doc bop, as well, bop, right? Bam, boop. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I saw two documentaries. Uh, okay. I saw plan C and I saw Juno. I don't know which one you want to hear me discuss first. Which one was better? Uh, certainly Juno. Though I thought both were pretty... I mean, Plan C, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, as the title you know, would suggest, it, it's uh, a documentary that explores um, you know, the Take the Pill movement. Uh, certainly, right. you know, with... Uh, uh, Sorry, I accidentally... <laughs> I was going to mute and I accidentally pressed stop. Yeah, sorry if you could start over that sentence. Uh, which one? With plan, just start the plan C thing over okay. again. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Uh, yeah, so I saw 
The documentary Plan C, which, as the title would suggest, explores the uh, Take the Pill movement, uh, and it's kind of related back to the, well, not kind of, actually, it's related to the recent, uh, you know, uh, stripping of rights that have been happening with the abortion movement, and obviously with Roe v. Wade being overturned, and the several women are, you know, doing all they can to continue to provide safe and easy abortions for women in the United States, uh, particularly related to little pills that they can take orally to um, dissolve the pregnancy early on. Uh, And it's one of those films that I've kind of had this thing with documentaries where it's so apparent that, like, there's a sense of danger with the storytelling here in the sense that, like, several subjects don't want to speak on camera. They have to kind of find creative in uh, unique ways to kind of work around that several subjects don't want to have their names uh, exposed, don't even want to have their faces or voices seen or heard. And there's a real sense of like, oh, okay, like you feel the urgency, you feel the necessity of the story and also the risks that are being uh, involved for these people to come forward with this information and be public uh, and tell uh, women, what they need to know about this, uh, even if it risks their well-being and their livelihood, uh, and you know maybe even their lives in the process. But the the style of the filmmaking, and it's not like a poorly made film; it's it's fine as far as the execution. But the fact that it is so kind of straightforward and traditional, and its storytelling and very polished, and you know kind of packaged in a very traditional way. Um, I don't know if that's for the better or for the worse, in the sense that I feel like it doesn't quite honor the risk of the subjects. I feel like the movie itself could honor them more by making a film that's more audacious and a little bit more uh, intense and, you know, kind of feels that urgency a little bit more. But I also understand that if they want the story to be seen to as wide an audience as possible, if they want to make something that's a little bit more straightforward and traditional in its packaging, maybe that's a little bit more accessible and makes it a little bit more easier to get funding and to reach a wide audience uh, that would be for the better of the the movement and the character or and the subjects um, in the long run, so I don't know what ultimately is the best result there. That's kind of up to uh, you know other people to decide. Uh, for me, I kind of wish it was a little bit more uh, risk taking in its filmmaking. I just felt like it it didn't quite uh, reach its potential as far as uh, the documentary filmmaking is concerned. But you know, fine film, certainly worth watching. Uh, important, timely story to be sure. Um, but. <clears throat> The movie that of the two that I saw that I certainly appreciated and liked more was the documentary Juno, which um, let me look up the filmmaker's name. Uh, Juno is uh, uh, Sierra Urich. Sierra Urich, yeah, uh, who is a um, Persian American filmmaker, and uh, the film explores the three generations of Iranian women, uh, particularly her, her mother, and her grandmother. Uh, and the sort of kind of boundaries and the um, barriers that come with language and culture due to the fact that um, obviously the uh, filmmaker, because she grew up in America, doesn't quite have the uh, a natural sort of uh, Persian uh, – uh, she, she just can't really speak to her grandmother who speaks sort of broken English. She uh, isn't able to speak Persian to her because of her upbringing and her mother while able to be a translator for the two has a sort of um, uh, 
need to kind of feel like held back and not really talk about a lot of the family secrets and a lot of the difficulties that the family experienced, particularly when they um, immigrated to America. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really fascinating, personal, intimate, um, but ultimately moving documentary. It uh, just falls or flows in a very sort of cinematic verte style that allows the subjects to, you know, feel very lived in, feels very authentic. Um, you, you see a lot of like the like camera setup and a lot of the like little moments that you wouldn't normally see in a documentary and they kind of compose the film to make it a little bit more uh, homey and lived in. And it's just a really sweet, really impressive little documentary. And I definitely recommend it. I don't know when it's going to be released or how it's going to be released, but definitely think it's worth seeing. I was really impressed by it. Awesome. Well, of the dramatic features, I, I really had three favorites. Uh, one over the others. Uh, two of the two of the favorites were uh, Polite Society, which I think has been getting plenty of attention because it's such a that that's just like pure fun, you know. Uh, I said I said to my Letterbox review that it's like, what if a Tarantino fan made a Pakistani wedding movie in the style of Home Alone three, <laughs> and that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, it's just this like really fun and charming movie that uh, speaking of like YA teen novels, it kind of feels like a YA movie in some respects because it's about this teenage girl who is obsessed with wanting to become a stunt woman. And she but she's not, you know, like she has like a, a blue belt, you know, she's not a black belt. She's not this like hyper competent teenager. She has her limitations. But yeah, she is trying to essentially like botch a wedding between her kind of her put upon sister, older sister. And uh, have her, she feels like her sister is like selling out or like abandoning her dreams of being an artist in order to be like with some rich dude. And so she's trying to sabotage the wedding, but like things go way, way, way more serious than I think she's expecting. Uh, the, the main the main actor here, Priya Kansara, is like just just uh, just dynamite. Um, just absolute like I, I think that she is a star in the making. I hope we get to see her in a lot more stuff. Uh, we've seen uh, the other actor here, Ritu Arya, her sister, in a bunch of other stuff like Red Notice, and she was uh, one of, one of the like predominant characters in Umbrella Academy, and uh, she's quite good in this as well. So I, I, I like Polite Society quite a bit. Uh, I think that uh, you, you might enjoy it too. I don't know how much of it is like your thing necessarily, but uh, it's it's certainly okay. worth checking out. And that's uh, coming out fairly soon, right? That that got acquired earlier, yes. like before the festival happened by Focus Features. And I think it's coming out in April, right? Because there's like already a trailer uh, you can watch. I thought now. it might have been even sooner, but I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Um, I thought it was, yeah, it won't be long. Yeah, I thought it was April. I, I just know it's sometime in like early to mid spring. Sure. So yeah, if uh, you want to see it, it should be available pretty soon. Like me. Yeah. I want to see um, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a good time. Um, also, Theater Camp. Oh my gosh, Theater Camp. This movie's so funny. I, I just, I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely think this is the funniest movie I've seen, like, and like Sundance since uh, Palm Springs, which, you know, had me, had this me in some. The, the Molly Gordon one, right? She directed and started yeah, it. Yeah, Molly Gordon co directs with Nick Lieberman, uh, who I think first film for both of them. Yeah. And uh, Molly Gordon, who you might recognize from uh, movies like Shiva Baby, and of course, uh, I almost said eighth grade, but not eighth grade. Uh, Booksmart. The uh, Booksmart, yeah. Um, she and she stars in it as well, along with Ben Platt, uh, who the two of them work at this theater camp that is going is in disarray because the the main person, the uh, the owner of the camp, 
is in a coma. And so the staff kind of has to band together to try to keep the the camp alive, you know. And so Molly Gordon and Ben Platt's characters are focused on like coming up with the perfect show, and then but they're at odds, of course. And uh, the main what the the real the real uh, revelation for me in this episode, like I wasn't sure about this guy, was uh, Jimmy Tatro. Are, are you aware of this guy? He's been in a bunch of stuff over the years. Um, Maybe and if I saw him, the name's not really ringing a bell. He, he's been in movies like he was in 22 Jump Streets, uh, King of Staten Island, Bad Education. I feel like if you saw a picture of him, you might recognize him. He was in uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. He he hasn't been in a lot of like he hasn't been in a lot of stuff that like is that good. Um, but uh, I think that not not that Wolf of Snow Hollow isn't good, but I think that he's like an actor who kind of comes off as like he's very broy. You know, he's very like he likes Post Malone. He's that kind of guy. And he is the son of the theater owner. And he's kind of the biggest surprise for me in this. Uh, He has this whole thing with Patty Harrison, who's in the movie as well. Uh, You know, she was in uh, a Sundance movie a couple of years ago. That was good. uh, Together, together. And uh, he, he kind of is like. I think like the secret heart of the movie, it's, it's kind of surprising to me actually like where this movie goes. Uh, but yeah, theater camp, I, I was telling Corey Woodruff because he, he was like, Oh man, what happened in the end of theater camp? Like his link expired or something. Like he had like 15 minutes to go. And I told him, I was like, ah, oh, I can't tell you because like the last like 15, 20 minutes of the movie are the funniest. And I was like, you got it. You're just going to have to wait until <laughs> you know the movie comes out and then Corey's going to have to re rewatch it, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's it's it's very funny. I don't know if it's your kind of comedy, Will, but oh, okay. it's done in a mockumentary format, which I'm sure. an easy mark, uh, uh, easy mark target for, for yeah. but it doesn't do it doesn't do the talking head thing. It, it's more kind of like, OK, South Park. You remember that South Park episode years and years ago where it's like the uh, the uh, special ed camp. Um, where like Towley is in it and it's, uh, it's done in the style of like those like documentaries where all of a sudden the screen goes black and like text comes on to like give you more context, but it's done comedically. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean the, um, the main comparison I was hearing was Christopher Guest, like mainly waiting for Guffman seems to be an easy sort of comparison for this film. Yeah, I think that's what South Park is kind of lift. Well, I don't think South Park is lifting from that, but like, that's like probably my favorite South Park episode. And so this movie is kind oh, okay. of like in that style of like lampooning that type of like documentary mockumentary format. Hmm. So that said, uh, right. that kind of humor gets me pretty easily. Sure. And I was looking it up. Uh, Jimmy Tatro. Yeah, I, I do mainly remember him from Bad Education. Okay. So, yeah. Um, also, Alan Kim is in this. He has a nice, he has a fun little role. The, the kid from Minari. Um, I was like, oh, oh, okay, hey, cool. I know yeah. you. <laughs> Another um, also, uh, Sundance kid. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of Sundance people in this. Um, but then uh, my favorite movie of the festival and currently my favorite movie of the year so far is Magazine Dreams, which is a bit of a it's a divisive movie. It's it's not one of those movies mm-hmm. where I think everyone's going to be on the same page as me. <laughs> I mean, um, the main thing I had heard was that the performance is great. But the film, it, it seems like people have mixed opinions on it. They do. And I, I think that the film is also great. And I think that it's 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 one of those movies that is has really stuck with me. It's uh, Jonathan Majors, I think, in probably almost certainly his best performance to date. This is going to be a big year for him because he's going to be like, uh, in, you know, he's coming up on uh, the Marvel stuff this year for sure. Like he, he was already in Loki, um, but like, you know, 
one episode or something like that. And I think he's going to be like the big, he's going to be the Thanos type villain moving forward. He's going to be in the Ant-Man movie and all that stuff, but whatever magazine dreams, I think is where he's shining. And then some, he, he plays this kind of like he, he's a, an amateur bodybuilder and he's a bit of like an incel. And the thing I love about this movie is like what it says about that. Like what it says about the way that men direct their, their violence and the way that they direct their, their opinions of like what, what an influencer is, what fame is. I don't want to go into too much detail, but man, I, 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 you watch this guy for over two hours. It's a two hour movie. And it's one of those movies where like at the one hour point, it was kind of like RRR where I was like, this isn't the end. This feels like it's supposed to be the end. But what I really enjoy about the movie is that when you get to where most movies would end, this movie really starts to kick up because it's more about the aftermath of something horrific than really just like building, building, building to a climax. And then maybe like five minutes of resolution and the movie ends. This movie is like, it's a movie and then an hour long epilogue. And I think that's throwing people off. I think it's making people be like, what? The? I don't want it to be that. For me though, I did. I, I genuinely was more fascinated by the second half of this movie than the first. I think that if it had only been that first movie and they had padded it to 90 minutes, I think that it'd be a lesser movie. Uh, I think it would be more traditional and formulaic, but it's not. And I think that that's why it sticks out for me. So it was my favorite movie of the festival. Um, and I, I liked a lot of stuff this year. I liked, and not to go into detail, but I, I liked Fancy Dance. I thought uh, I thought Fair Play was like good with caveats. I think some people really liked that, but it, it was kind of, I was kind of taken aback by certain things toward the end. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Didn't you say you kind of hated it last week? I did. It, I, and I think it's because of the last, like, like the last 20 minutes. It's just, I think it's like moving to such a good boil. And then I think it botches what it's trying to do a little bit. Um, the movies I hated were cat person and bad behavior, um, which we'll get to. And I think we will cover cat person. We, we're going to have to, but I mean, Jesus Christ, like cat person. Like I did not think that the, they could make a movie worse than the short story personally. Um, and, and I, I should say like, I don't think the short story is bad. I think the short story is actually pretty interesting. And sure. some of the baggage around it is kind of fascinating too, around like the person who wrote it. And I think that it has a really good ending and it had, I think it has a good sort of like message, you know, in sure. terms of like the way men behave. Um, but I, I always found the short story to also be a little bit like, you know, a little bit underbaked in some respects, you know, and it, but it's a short story I respect. But I was like, okay, if you're going to make a movie, you have an opportunity to make the short story better. But no, it, it just kind of like does not, I think, understand what the short story was after sure. uh, in, in a lot of respects. It's pretty bad. Like I, I genuinely am like baffled by how much that was botched. Hmm. Um, why, I did really. Yeah. Why Why do we have to cover it? <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's an it, it's going to be a buzzy kind of movie. I don't, you don't have to watch it if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm not, I'll, I'll watch it. I just, I just thought it was funny. You were like, oh, we got to cover this. I'm like, uh, well, we I do? feel like it's worth discussing. Yeah. Okay. Um, sure. I, because I think there's something fascinating to be said about the way it was sure. adapted. Um, and I want to go into more detail sure. when it's more available. Fair enough. Um, yeah. A movie that I did really like, uh, a couple of movies I really liked. I really liked Heroic. Um, this is the one about um, a Mexican uh, soldier who kind of comes up through the ranks. That's a really harrowing movie, but uh, worth we're checking out if you have the stomach for it. And Birth Rebirth was kind of cool. Uh, Judy Reyes and uh, oh, what's her name? Um, I forget the uh, the actress. Uh, she was in um, also an, an Umbrella Academy. Uh, Marin Ireland. Uh, I forgot. Uh, that's kind of like a goofy like 
horror-esque kind of movie. I, I thought that was kind of fun. It, it wasn't amazing, but it was kind of cool. Uh, Fancy Dance, which was uh, really touching. Um, this one was about uh, indigenous women. Um, and it, it's kind of like a better version of Wind River uh, because it's sort of about like women on the reservation who just disappear and like nobody cares. And Wind River was more from the perspective of like the white people on the periphery of that. And this movie is actually like, what if we did a better job? <laughs> and so uh, it, it kind of came out pretty well. And then there were some movies that I thought were okay. Like I, I, I thought they were fine. Like uh, again, Fair Play, uh, which could, should have been better. It was kind of disappointing. Uh, pod Generation, the Amelia Clark kind of thing where it's like, what if you could grow a baby in like a pod instead of pre- be pregnant? And it was an interesting premise, but it didn't, I don't think it was that, you know, good. Uh, you Hurt My Feelings, the Cole Hall Center thing. Oh, I'm looking it, forward you, to that. It's okay. It's it, oh. it's very ho-hum, but it's what you expect. Like, it, you know, it's Julie Louis-Dreyfus and, and Tobias Menzies and Michaela Watkins. And mm. it's just, it's it's a very A24 kind of like, uh, you know, love, you know, like that kind of movie. It's It's very like easy breezy casual slice of life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it. It's like, you know, it's just about like, you know, what partners lie to each other about. And it's very, up, you know, it's bubblegum. It's therapy, um, right? It's about a therapist? Yeah, uh, yeah, th- sure. But it's, it's more about uh, art. It's more about like uh, um, when you, you your spouse is bad at something, you don't want to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that one little idea, tiny little baby idea, like stretched out to a movie is kind of awkward, but okay. No, no, I think it's so uh, funny, but yeah, I get what you're saying. The characters are fun. Yeah, it is funny in the, because it's self-aware in that way, but uh, bad behavior was genuinely bad. I, it, worse than Cat Person. At least Cat Person was bad in an interesting way. Bad behavior, I just want to forget I watched it. And mm. poor Jennifer Connelly, who I think, you know, it's just, uh, th- this is, uh, and I, I think you were looking forward to it, right? Because it's Alice Englert, who's an uh, actress, uh, but, uh, you know, famous mother, Jane Campion. Sure. And, uh, I, I know I was kind of interested. I was like, oh, yeah, she's directing a movie now and mm-hmm. she stars in it too. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. I was like, uh, I, I think, like I said at one point, it's like, look, if you have some stuff to work out with your mom, just a phone call, it will suffice, not a movie. I mean, the um, main thing I remember you saying is that I'm halfway through this movie and I still genuinely don't know what it's about. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a good I mean, sign. like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't get what she's trying to say about her mom in a way that like makes sense that is cohesive. And it's like, she's saying like everything and nothing. It's that kind of thing. Um, uh, similarly, a first film. I, I, this is more of a hot take. I just, I couldn't get into the Persian version, which like I should have, I mean the mm. movie, it, it moves. Untitled. It's like, it's really fun. I really like the lead performance. I love this family. I should love the Persian version. I think that it's so fun. I think it's so interesting, but it's just not, executed well there's way too much narration there's way too much of like i just feel like the movie stops and starts and like the structure is all off and i there's this whole thing with the movie of like it keeps introducing all these wrinkles and all these characters it feels like a a series trying to fit itself into a movie it's that kind of thing and it's disappointing because as soon as i start to like what's going on and i'm like oh man i want to kind of see where this character goes it jumps back in time and now we're back in time and we're doing this. And I'm like, well, well hold on. I, I what, what about that? And yeah, it's frustrating. Um, but it, it's frustrating in like an annoying way. Cause I, ah, I wish I had loved it. Uh, and then I think the last one, and I should have mentioned just about everything here is uh sorcery, which is okay. Eh, eh, that was fine. What is this sorcery? This <laughs> is kind of like this, ah, what is, there was a couple of movies that reminded me of it reminded me of like, uh, you won't be alone a little bit. And it's another movie that kind of like focusing on like, uh, 
indigenous people, I think in this case in Chile, who are, you know, they're these German settlers and she kind of turns to this like cult of like sorcerers in order to like not enact revenge, but sort of define this sort of like soft, quiet justice. And it's a very like slow movie, like lots of like meditation, lots of like scenery and stuff like that. And it it didn't really grab me too much, but I, I certainly, you know, found it to be uh you know, fun to watch in, in certain scenes, but then other scenes, I was like, ah, I'm ready for the next part. Uh, cool, cool exploration of like where, where it is, but it's just, yeah, it's a, a little bit slow, a little bit uh, like, you know, it doesn't have much energy to it. And that's Sundance 2023, at least by me. I mean, there are a lot of other things, you know, like yeah, I was gonna some say. stuff. Ray Lane, I think was like the big thing that yeah, I, I heard didn't that's get to great. see, but I heard was, yeah, I heard that was fantastic. Eileen, which uh, I really wanted to see. Yeah, I was going to ask about that one too. A uh, thousand and one, I heard, uh, won the fest yeah. or the, the dramatic award. One of the, one of the best of uh, the fest, according to many. And uh, uh, I also, oh man, I really wanted to see um, Mami little- Wata. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, well, we should be able to get to some of this stuff uh, in later episodes, including there is one more movie called infinity pool sure well i was gonna say also uh a little prayer I heard was really good passages i heard was good uh girl Flora was good. And Sun. i'm sorry you didn't see that one yeah uh, i i had it on my list and yeah i just uh i had to draw the line somewhere and then also sure. uh i heard sometimes i think about dying the big daisy ridley yeah, return from star I heard wars that was wasn't, not good yeah i heard it wasn't great and i was i was curious yeah. about that one uh my um, animal herd was pretty good um yeah, uh, so I'm looking at the acquisitions here. My animal was acquired by Paramount, um, and it looks like Amazon got in my mother's skin. Netflix got the deepest breath. Uh, Searchlight got Theater Camp. I didn't know about that one. A um, bunch of other stuff. Movie got another thing called Passages. So they're they're kind of they're still doing their thing. Little Prayer was picked up by Sony Pictures Classics. Uh, Talk to Me was picked up by A24. The Eternal Memory, which was definitely like. I was hearing some interesting buzz about was picked up by MTV documentary films. <laughs> That's okay. interesting. Uh, a few others. Uh, Netflix got run rabbit run. Um, I heard that wasn't we'll get to that good. One. Yeah. I, d- I didn't hear anything about it at all. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I heard it was uh, on the last one. Um, oscilloscope got Joyland. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that, um, I thought that came out last year. Uh, maybe it did. Okay. Uh, it was on the, uh, the short list for international feature. I remember. So it's probably just getting it's like a yeah North American yeah, kind of thing, right? And then uh, Little Richard, I, that was one more. Sorry, uh, Little Richard uh, got picked up by Magnolia, uh, which I think up, up. it was already and CNN Films, which I think it already was by the time the Sundance. It was like a pre-acquisition because like you could see the CNN yeah you know, thing. But all right, all right, let's talk about. Oh, sorry, Fair Play got picked up by Netflix. I yeah, see that, that was uh, <laughs> was that that theater. That's perfect, camp, uh, perfect for Netflix. Yeah. That and Theater Camp were like the biggest acquisitions, right? Uh, Fair I Play think, was yeah. like Theater Camp is like a Palm Springs, I think, where they're probably going to release it in the summer, sure, um, and do it that way. And then Fair Play, I think they're going to they're really going to try to make it a big Netflix talking point because sure. of the Bridgerton connection. It's yeah. the uh, did, uh, what is her name? Um, I, I always forget her name. The girl who plays Daphne Obi, in Bridgerton, uh, or sorry, Phoebe uh, Phoebe Dinever, Dinever, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's. She's definitely an actress. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Infinity pool. <laughs> Ringing praise. Uh, do you think theater camp's going to go to theaters or do you think that's going to be a Hulu thing like Palm Springs? I hope it goes to theaters. Okay. I, I can see it being good counter programming the comedy of it. And I, I would be surprised if uh, they just sent it straight to Hulu in this environment, but no, anything's possible. I want to see it in a the theater, but 
I want to see with an audience. Sure. All right, Infinity Pool, enough. Enough Sundance. Let's talk more about a Sundance movie <laughs> because we both saw this one. I did, yeah, so, I saw that. I'm curious where we're going to land on this. This has been a divisive movie. So this is a, a sci-fi horror directed and written by Brandon Cronenberg. I believe Cronenberg's last movie was Possessor, right? Yes. He hasn't done anything in between. Yeah, no. Possessor was one of my favorite movies of 2020. Uh, also a Sundance movie. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I thought that it was just so well-written, and uh, ugh, that movie just had me in, in its grip. Hmm. This movie stars Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, Cleopatra Coleman, and a few other familiar faces. And it, it's kind of like continuing the sort of like rich people island sort of trend <laughs> trope that's been going on with things like white lotus triangle of sadness glass onion <laughs> there have been a lot of movies where like rich people go to islands and then havoc ensues like that kind of thing and uh this is more of that just and, like opinion, real life hot take this happens in real life this movie <laughs> i guess so yeah i don't know <laughs> okay um Boy, I I did not like this movie. I I I just found it to be a bit of a pain. <laughs> like, I, I one of those movies where I think it has like one thing to say. It has like one theme that is like got some substance to it, and it just says it like a thousand times in the same way, essentially. And like, look, the style is there, and I don't want to say too much about like what happens in this movie, at least at the the beginning of this. But I just think this is a big miss. Like, I I just think that it's. It, it's one of those movies where I think this, it's first draft material. I, I think that it just, it goes on and on. It's listless. It, I think the only thing it really has going for it is a couple of scenes that are kind of interesting to watch, but I don't care enough about the characters to care about the scenes. And I should care about Mia Goth in this because she's the most like electric performer in this. But at a certain point, I was tired of Mia Goth. This movie made me tired of Mia Goth. And that is astounding because that should not happen. Like that, that seems to me like cosmically impossible. But I'm wondering if we're going to disagree on this. Did you like this movie? Are we going to fight? Uh, I thought it was fine. I don't know. I guess like the, the funny thing for me is that like I keep seeing all these sort of like extreme reactions from people like you're saying the fairly divisive response and people being like, it's so gross and perverted. Oh, or it's like, oh, it's so indulgent. And, you know, uh, uh, so, you know think so My highly face of was stone like watching this like yeah and i was just kind of like yeah it's fine you know some of it was a little yeah. gross uh you know i i thought it looked cool visually i i i don't know i i think you're certainly a lot higher on brandon cronenberg than i am i'm, I'm not negative on him i like possessor i thought his first film antiviral was like you know solid as a you know little uh debut but i think the big thing for him and i i know this is kind of feeding into the whole nepotism baby conversation that's going on i'm not really uh looking to dive into that but i do think the fact that his films feel so indebted to his father is sort of unavoidable at this point and to his credit i will say uh i feel like he is sort of forging his own style a little bit more here like i think this well i thought that was the case with possessor i don't think that's the case with this uh i think i mean when you see the two films or at least when you see possessor and you see uh Infinity Pool, you can see that he's like very interested in like kind of pushing, uh, you know, a lot of this kind of like fast editing, the sign of like, you know, like uh, flashy photography, uh, and things even the are, story of just like trying to like 
explored the idea of like being in a different body or being in like body horror kind of stuff, but more mental body yeah. horror than the more grotesque stuff that his father does. Yeah. It's a lot of like intense close-ups of people getting their heads caved in. That seems to be something that he has a weird sort of fixation on. Uh, but yeah, I, don't, I feel like his dad, uh, his films are a lot more sort of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say like analytical, but like a little bit more clinical, I guess. Like they seem a lot more interested in like why people have this perversion. There's sort of almost like a medical analysis sort of thing going on with him being like, you know, indulging the perversion and exploring this like human need to like, uh, seek out and explore the things in the body, uh, that, you know, we, we feel a sort of taboo about and, and and I feel like his films are a lot deeper, a lot more resonant. Uh, and obviously he's had a, a big head start compared to Brandon. And I think Brandon at, at the very least is kind of developing his own sense of, uh, you know, visual prowess. And I, I think the concept here is really interesting. The idea of, uh, you know, I don't know how much you want to give away or how much you want to leave to surprise, but I'll, I'll set up, I won't, I'll set up a little bit. It, it follows a, a novelist who is dealing with writer's block, played by Skarsgård, and his wife, M, played by uh, Cleopatra Coleman. They are at this resort in a fictional country called Latoka. It's filmed in Croatia, so it's supposed to be this kind of like Eastern European island. And there's like, it's this kind of place where you can go like have a vacation, but you can't venture out of the resort area because the rest of the country is like very dangerous. It, and that's the kind of setup. And then they run into some other tourists one of them played by Mia Goth and her husband and they are sort of like like instantly like hit it off as like vacation friends vacation friends will we love vacation friends remember that movie uh, barely they were friends on vacation <laughs> okay <laughs> and um yeah i mean some like dark twisted stuff starts to happen when they leave the resort area in order to have a little bit of an adventure and it it's a sort of eat the rich kind of commentary at that point of like you know how the rich get away with certain things that normal people do not and yes, it, it finds uh, a clever way in right. order to yeah uh enact that when things go wrong yeah and i think there's a really fun premise there about like, you know, like, like you said, privilege and identity and, uh, you know, like class culture and the, the expectations and the idea of like, if you can avoid all sense of, you know, uh, justice and consequence, like what will you do and what do you feel emboldened to do? But the thing is that like, I feel like the movie kind of plays out more or less as you would expect. Like it doesn't really have that many shocking twists and turns outside of the premise. Like, I mean, right. I went in, pretty cold so like once you kind of get the idea of like oh this is what this is about i had heard something about clones so i knew like the idea of there, there was something about that going into it so i wasn't like completely see i know. didn't even know that so i was like along for the ride i knew nothing i didn't know Skarsgård or, or mia goth were in it so i was just like oh, what okay. is this all i knew was cronenberg hmm. brandon cronenberg and i saw the uh yeah and i saw the masks thing which was just sort of like the pet cemetery masks kind of uh yeah it's, I don't know. it's part of this like local festival that they're doing i don't know for me with the mass it, it usually i'm fine with that this is one of those times where i see the mass i'm like okay you're just thinking like hey what would be cool to have in a movie as opposed to like what would make sense in this environment like oh for, i just watched one of the purge movies right yeah and so, so i'm I mean, gonna yeah. kind of yeah. follow that track yeah yeah i don't know it didn't feel like authentic to me that like they would just be selling those at the store i don't know maybe i'm uh speaking out no, you're gonna get some you're gonna get some women talking feedback there will because uh, you know, someone's gonna be like well look here maybe will. uh i don't know i mean maybe i grew up in latoka yeah <laughs> like i 
<laughs> we do this every year. In any case, um, I guess for me, the big issue I took with the film, and I'm curious where you stand on this. I did not have any issue with Mia Goth. I thought she was definitely the highlight of the film. She's the highlight. Her, I thought yeah. her performance. I was just exhausted because she has to carry the whole thing. It's like watching somebody carry a boulder up a hill. I'm just like, I want to help. I mean, I guess my issue was more with the writing because I'm just kind of like, waiting for that shoe to drop with her like the movie kind of treats it like a surprise i'm just kind of just like okay get to yeah. this thing and then i was kind of hoping we know the movie, she's bad news right <laughs> her last name is goth right i was kind of just wishing they would reveal that earlier and then have like a super crazy third act and the movie just like it just kind of didn't do that like i felt like it was like building to the second act and then more or less just sort of ended as you would expect uh but yeah i don't know i just like i i found the character itself to be a bit plain and a you know a bit expected but her performance had a lot of that like gun-ho enthusiasm that i love from mia goth and i think you know it's uh you know it's electric it's fun it's dynamite i i'm all about that uh for me i i don't fault his commitment either like i think alexander sarsgar is really putting his heart into this i think he's trying to play the role as best he can. I think he's, he wants to be a little bit goofier. I think he wants to kind of play against expectations for him. And I admire that. I thought he was, uh, fairly severely miscast in this role. Hmm. Do you agree or disagree? <sighs> I, I would have, I, I, I think I agree. I was, I agree more with like the first two thirds. There, there is something though, like interesting about like, he gets into a different mode toward the end where he he stops being the kind of, you know, all hell breaking loose kind of character. And he turns into like the desperate friend, like, I got to get out of here kind of character. And I think that watching Skarsgård go through that transformation, there was something kind of visually interesting about that because he's such an imposing dude. This is the Northman we're talking about. This is the guy from Big Little Lies. Like, right. Seeing him on the back foot in this way was definitely like... It was interesting. And I think maybe I was just starved for something interesting at that point. What's I mean is I I admire the attempt on his part to kind of play against expectations. I I would like to see a role where he's able to kind of do that more successfully. I just felt like I just never really bought like, why would he be this insecure? Like, why would he be like so like kind of sniveling and like pathetic? Like, I just kind of felt like even if someone like that uh were to be in this situation like i just kind of felt like he would you know still have like the charisma and like you know like the imposing uh physique to kind of uh i don't know it just didn't seem as right to me as opposed to like i don't know i i i think it's again more the writing the fact that his character is written so plainly that there's not a lot of room for complexity with it and that you know we can really get to know much about him other than you know the sense that like he needs to be emasculated by the end of the film, which is fine. Uh, but I will say, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I kind of heard rumblings at one point or maybe early on that Robert Pattinson was being considered for this part. And for me, like that just like totally opened up. I was like, Oh, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Cause you want, you kind of, I think there's a choice to have it be an older guy because you want to get that sense that he's over the hill in some respects and i get it but i think but pattinson like, could have pulled that off too i just feel like also i thought yeah. christopher abbott I, I was like bring it back from possession yeah why not I, I don't know i just i feel like they just need someone who could like kind of sell the like uh you know a suave confident like that's the thing he the needs guy, to look then, guilt yeah he needs to look both guilty and fascinated and like there, there were certain things where it was like i feel like the script wants him to look excited by something that's horrific going on 
but because of the way Skarsgård plays it, he just kind of looks bored or sort of confused. Uh, I don't and agree I'm, with that, but um, I yeah. definitely. I, there were points where I was just like, "What am I supposed to get from this character right now?" Because like I see what the script is going for, I don't see what the actor is bringing to it. I just feel like Pattinson, like like we saw him in Damsel, we see him obviously in Good Time, and uh, I just feel like if you kind of were able to combine like that sense of like that drive, that that thirst for like you know for uh the danger and the risk but also kind of like that sniveling sad kind of uh you know emasculated man that he's a pathetic man that he kind of needs to be at the end of this film like i think pattinson at least this point is able to kind of convey those shades of you know gray a lot better than i guess sars just felt a lot more stark like it was like okay he's this he's this and then he's this like it didn't it was as much room for complexity and that's not me speaking ill of him as an actor i mean i thought he was you know really good and uh northman and i've you know really enjoyed his work in big little lies like i think he's a capable actor i just didn't feel like this is the right fit for him yeah yeah ultimately i just couldn't get into it uh i'm pretty negative on the movie overall but i i kind of get it i kind of get what people are sort of finding interesting about it i think that sure i mean the the actual thematic storytelling is interesting i just think that other media is doing it a little bit better uh, that i've seen i haven't even seen uh, white lotus i yeah. did see black lotus um that was good sure uh, that's uh, good. yeah i mean yeah i would say of the recent rich satires i'd kind of put near the bottom like probably just below the menu he didn't really do much for me unfortunately i think brandon cronenberg has a decent sense of uh like you said visuals and tone and i think he has the ideas I just don't think he's able to kind of pull him off as successfully as his father at this point. And initially when, you know, uh, his father wasn't making films as regularly, like when he was on kind of a hiatus after Maps to the Stars, I was a little bit more willing to indulge that, I think. But coming off of Crimes of the Futures, uh, I just feel like I'm kind of like, okay, you kind of need to step up a little bit more, man. You got to kind of, you know, do a little bit more to impress me. I just felt like this is a lot more kind of flash in the pan compared to the heaviness and the melancholy and the thoughtfulness that was in crimes of the future. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's not really fair to compare it to his, his brother, uh, his father. I mean, but, um, also, I mean, if you're going to make films, if clearly evoke him, you kind of have to do the heavy lifting. He got there yeah. a little bit with possessor. Am I? Yeah. I mean, I know I'm not as high on it as you are, but I'm willing to, you know, say that he was getting there with possessor. This seems like a little bit of a stumble, but I'll see what he does next. I'm curious. Sure. I will too. I will too. I, it's funny because it's like, what if you made like a musical? You know, it's just like, I'm not my father. And then he makes like a musical that's even more deranged. Um, but all right, let's um, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing though, right? So like this whole movie is about like planning expectations and like, you know, people expecting things from you and like not knowing really what to say. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there could have been something really interesting from this being from Brandon Cronenberg, but yeah, I don't know. It just yeah. didn't play out. But anyway, Rod Tomatoes yeah, game. It does not seem like he's putting himself into the movie in that respect, I think, but yeah. All right. Infinity pool on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we have 124 reviews counted. Will, what is your guess for the Rotten Tomato score? Uh, I'm going to assume it's pretty high. I think most people are, you know, willing to indulge the film. Uh, I'm going to say 78%. Ooh, you're off by 10. Do you think that it is 68 or 88? Uh, you know what? I'm going to say 68. Ah, 
Should have gone with your instincts. It was 88. Okay. It is 88. Yeah, so people are yeah, acknowledging the film a bit more than They are. And I, I'm i a little surprised. I'm like, really? <laughs> this movie? But hey, uh, it's the Sundance crowd too. And I think that, you know, who knows? Maybe something's in the air. I, I just generally, I don't get it. Um, oh, okay. uh, forgot to mention, you saw a different version of the film than I did. Oh, and uh, how different is it supposed to be? Well, you got you got to see the like NC-17 cut. And I saw the R-rated version. Oh, interesting. So I, mean, I think there the, were some things in there where I was like, wow, that's really pushing the limit. Huh? I mean, the big thing, I mean, the only thing I'd heard was different was the peen. Uh, hmm. We didn't get to see any penis, but yeah, uh, you see they, plenty of that. Okay. So yeah, I guess that's a big difference uh, in, in the two versions that we yeah, saw. That, that changes everything. Nah. <laughs> big, of course, um, being a intentional pun. Uh, I mean, you see a lot of that in uh, heroic too. Uh, okay. okay. Audience score. What do you think? We have a hundred plus verified ratings. Uh, hmm. I'm a little off my game now. I feel thrown off. Uh, I'm going to say 82%. 100. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh 52%. Oh, wow. Okay. So way yeah, more divided. Yeah. Yeah. Audiences are taking one look at the, this movie and saying like to infinity and not beyond. Like that, that's it. Just stop. Um, okay. Nice try. What about, I think you said you got spoiled on the, the cinema score. I did. Yes. But I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, let me pull it up. Yeah. But you already know what it is, right? I mean, I was told it. I was just double checking to make sure I got it right. I see. I see. So I'm going to guess. And, uh, ooh. so I'm going to think about it. I think, I don't think it's an F. I think that some no, people are going to watch and get what they want yeah. out of it. Um, because and So I think that it's going to be like low, but not the lowest. I think it's either like a D plus or a C minus. Based on the audience score, I kind of want to go D plus. But I think a lot of critics probably saw it too with that. And I, I think I'm going to kind of split the difference and say C minus. You are exactly correct. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Okay. Will's not the only game in town. Uh, I can do it. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like C minus is like a bigger kiss of death than an F. Because like F yeah, is like, it's oh, like, interestingly bad. Yeah. Because if it's an F, it's like, oh, like, what's this about? Ah, gotta go see it. Yeah, like, it's yeah, like F Mother or go. something. You know, a movie I love, but like Mother gets an F, it's like, oh, like, what's this about? Here we go. Or if it gets a now B... Plus or B or higher, I guess it's like, oh, okay, what's going on here? But yeah, C minus just like, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, all right. And then letterboxed will finish out. Zero to five. What do you think the letterbox score is? We have thirty one thousand watches. Higher than I thought. Uh I'm going to say three point five. Very close, 3.4, just a little bit lower. It could be 3.5 tomorrow <laughs> based on how close it is. But uh, yeah, in, I feel like this might have been like a bit of a missed opportunity for Cronenberg based on, you know, not all the reviews being as positive. And I don't think it's going to be that buzzy of a movie. And like, clearly, like people were paying attention. They wanted to see this. And I, I kind of wish it was better for his sake because, you know, hey, maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe it is for most people and I'm just out of the loop or something. I don't know. But all right. Out of the pool, as I guess, as it were. Yeah, I'm in the shallow end. Yeah. Um, I mean, my reviews are shallow. All right. That'll do it for this week's show. 
a long episode, but uh, definitely uh, one of the, true to what we used to do. We'll be back next week for season seven of Cinemaholics. And I think, uh, what are we talking about this coming week? Knock at the cabin? That's I believe that's right. Soon, right. Yeah. Because you're not seeing yeah, not- uh, 80 for Brady tonight, right? I'm not. I'm seeing Knock at the Cabin tonight. Oh, okay. And so, um, oh, man. I, I hope it's good. I, I was just talking to my brother-in-law last night about Shyamalan because he was like, "Yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't really seen any of his movies since like, you know, The Happening." <laughs> He's been. He kind of was like, yeah, "I never, you know, forget Shyamalan back then." And I was like, "You know what? I don't blame you. <laughs> like, you were right to do that for a while after Happening, considering." But uh, we'll talk about that, and, and yeah, who I'm knows? We'll, we'll finally talk about a Shyamalan film after. We missed old uh, a couple of years ago. So yeah, and I guess we, we never, uh, well, we talked about glass on the show. So yes. Yeah. And split. No yeah. split was, uh, the before our time, I believe. Was it 2016? Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, but, uh all yeah. right. Well, we'll see you all the next one from the internet, California. I'm John and Gurney. And for you, Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time.